Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to our online worship experience. I am Pastor Anthony and I am coming from my home to your home and we are launching into a brand new series today called Win or Learn, right? Win or Learn, not Win or Lose win or learn because we recognize in every situation that we face even if it doesn't turn out the way we expected it to there's always something that we can learn and if we're learning from our experiences we'll never lose we'll always win and so today we want to dive into the word of god today as we begin this series win or learn now as you get ready for this series i want to let you know next sunday september 5th we're going to be online only and then on September 12th, we are going to throw a big old party at North Park Church. We are having Sunday fun day, and we would love to have you there. We're going to have all kinds of games and activities outside. We're going to have some food and ice cream buffet at the end of service. All of our kids' environments will be open again, and we just want to celebrate with you all that God is doing in our church family. So we hope that you will be there on Sunday, September 12th for Sunday Fun Day. Now let's dive into God's Word together today as we begin our series, Win or Learn. When I was in high school, I played in some of the most amazing football games you can imagine. I've played on high school football fields all across the state, leaving blood, sweat, and tears. Now, it was during halftime because I was in a marching band, but you may even be thinking, you bled on a football field as a member of the marching band? I actually did. I had a friend who was twirling his trumpet, his mouthpiece came off and hit me right between the eyes. Blood gushed everywhere, they'd take me off the field. Nobody was yelling Rudy or anything. I watched the movie Drumline when I was in high school and I was convinced that I wanted to be a marching band director. In fact, when I went off to college, that's exactly what I was pursuing. And it didn't take me very long to realize that God had a very different plan for me, but that was my dream. I don't know about you, but I love to dream. I am a big vision person. Vision, by definition, I love Andy Stanley's definition, is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by a conviction that it should be that way. Chances are, you once had a big dream, big, noble, beautiful dream, and you could envision it coming true, but for some reason or another, that dream faded away. What happens when the dream you've been chasing suddenly vanishes? What happens when you realize that you're chasing the wrong dream? What do you do when you realize this ladder that you've been climbing for a really long time, that you're actually climbing the wrong thing, the ladder's up against the wrong tree? Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we make terrible choices. And we need to come back from our own sin, our own failure, our, only, our own mistakes. So the question is, what then? Because there are times when circumstances are beyond our control and those circumstances shut down the hope that we were carrying for the future. So what next? Here's the great news. Jesus is a dream restorer. Your life might look different now than when that dream was born in your heart. But heaven still has a plan for you. 
Genesis 37 through 50, like that entire section, all of those chapters, tell the story of a teenager named Joseph who had a dream from God. And Joseph was the direct descendant of the patriarch Abraham, and through Abraham's son Isaac, and then through Isaac's son Jacob. And Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob, and he was, he was his dad's favorite. Now the Bible tells us that Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors. That's how it was known. And this didn't help Joseph's reputation among his brothers who already resented him as their dad's favorite. Honestly, I can identify with Joseph. I'm kind of the favorite. I'm the youngest of five. I know what it's like to have a bunch of older siblings. And I'm sure they were crazy at times. Like times when I drove them crazy. I remember ripping off the head of my sister's Donnie and Marie dolls. I used my sister's Barry Menelow's records as frisbees. And when those things hit walls, they break. I would watch my sisters and their boyfriends after dates. And when this guy was trying to make a move on my sister, I'd blink the porch lights off and on. They always thought that was my parents. It was me. I'm sure there were moments when they absolutely wanted to murder this little brat brother that they had. Joseph had this crazy dream in which all of his brothers in this dream bowed down to him. Here's a hint for life. If you have a dream where all of your brothers and sisters bow down to you, keep it to yourself. But he didn't. He shared it with them and they resented him for it. He made a huge mistake. He tells them about this dream where they all bow down and worship him and they didn't take it so well. One day, the brothers were tending their father's flock in Dothan and Jacob sent Joseph out to check on him. And I want you to check out what happens next. The brothers had all of the bragging, all of the favoritism, all the coat of many color experiences that they could handle. And so they decided to take their little brother out. They grabbed Joseph they threw him down an abandoned, dried-up well, a pit probably 10 to 15 feet deep. And the brothers discussed killing Joseph, but a caravan came across the horizon. And I want you to look at how the story unfolds in Genesis chapter 37. This is verse 18. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Verse 19 says, Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. These guys were, they were tough. But when Reuben, one of the brothers, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him. Instead, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, that coat of many colors, and they grabbed him and they throw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now, man, just imagine the story unfolding. Verse 25 says, Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and uh, aromic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? 
We have to cover up this crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. That's a funny line to me. Hey, let's sell him. I mean, he is our brother. Let's not kill him, our own flesh and blood. And all the brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, as the story unfolds, the traders took Joseph to Egypt's slave market to make a profit on the deal. And he was put on the auction block and he was sold to a guy named Potiphar who was a leader under Pharaoh. Now Potiphar was the captain of the guard. He was a very important person. And with him begins a silver lining in this story. I love this verse, Genesis 39 and 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now dreams don't always turn out the way that we want, and for Joseph that was certainly the case, but Joseph did very well, and Potiphar quickly recognized his potential and puts him in charge of the entire household. So he's just growing in influence. The problem was Potiphar's wife. She tried her best to get her hands on Joseph. And this is where the, turn, the story turns into the plot of more of a lifetime movie, okay? Potiphar was away on business, and she lures Joseph into her bedroom, made a move on him, but Joseph, being a man of God, resisted. And this is what he told her. Your husband has put me in charge of this entire household, but obviously you belong exclusively to him. He has trusted me, and I want to honor him. I want to honor myself. I want to honor God. And then Joseph literally backed away and ran, like left his coat in her hand kind of stuff. She was beside herself with frustration. And as Joseph ran, she began to yell to the other servants, this guy tried to take advantage of me. And when Potiphar found out, he was furious, but instead of executing him, he throws Joseph in prison. Think about that progression. He went from dreamer to slave to prisoner. And while Joseph was in prison, he met two people. Pharaoh's former cupbearer, the guy who would actually hand him the cup that he would drink from, and Pharaoh's former baker. Now, I don't know what these guys did to land themselves beside Joseph, but they're all in this dungeon. And both of these guys have dreams, and they wanted to know what they meant, and they were struggling. Well, Joseph had this unique ability to interpret dreams. Now, I like this part of the story. The cupbearer shows his dream, or shares his dream, and Joseph responds, Good news, man. Your dream has a great ending. Like, you're going to be okay. This was a good dream. But then the baker shares his dream. And I don't exactly know how this part goes down, but I see this unfold in the high-def theater of my mind. Like, I see the baker sharing his dream and Joseph responding, yeah, you know, you, you probably don't even want to know. You know, and the baker saying, I can take it. Joseph saying, eh, you should probably pretty, you should let this one go, man. And the baker going, come on, dude, tell me. And then Genesis 40 and 19, he tells him, Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impel your body on a pole, and then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Man, that is a tough dream. I, I think I would have kept that one to myself. But that is exactly what happened. The cupbearer was restored to his position, and the baker, he was restored to a very different position. 
And about two years, um, lots of time passes, and Pharaoh has two dreams. No one could interpret them. And they were just bothering Pharaoh. He, he wanted to know what these dreams meant. And the cupbearer found out about these dreams and something came to his mind. He remembers Joseph. So Joseph was summoned from the dungeon. He had been there for two years. Don't miss that. In Pharaoh's presence, and Joseph interpreted the dreams. This is what he said. Egypt will have seven amazing years of bumper crops, but they will be followed by seven years of the worst famine you've ever seen. And God gave you these dreams so that you would be prepared. Now, Pharaoh was a man of action, and he was impressed with this young Hebrew, Joseph, his wisdom and his discernment. And so Pharaoh immediately puts Joseph in charge of preparing for the coming famine. So Joseph goes from dreamer to slave to prisoner to dream interpreter. Now he's like the second in command in all of Egypt under this Pharaoh. And sure enough, as you read through these chapters in the book of Genesis, the famine came. And it not only affected the people of Egypt, but also the people of Canaan, where Joseph's family still tended sheep. And the famine hit hard. Crops failed, animals died, families were faced with starvation. And so Joseph's family heard rumors about food being in Egypt. So what did they do? They traveled there to buy grain. And guess who they ran into? They ran into Joseph. And all of a sudden, his brothers were right there in front of him. He recognized them immediately, but he also recognized the plan of God that was unfolding before his eyes. See, God used Joseph's story, the hurt, the pain, the challenges, not only to save Egypt, but also to save his own family. I mean, he could have easily lashed out at those brothers and had them thrown into a dungeon because of all the hurt that they caused him, but he refused. Steady helped him. Now, this is more than a fascinating story in the first book of the Bible. There's so much here for us to learn. Joseph's story, as we read it, almost seems so far from anything that we would ever experience. But I want you to see that his story probably hits closer to ours than we might imagine. Think about this. Have you ever been abandoned? Sure you have. You ever been left behind? How about falsely accused? Have you ever felt sold out by a friend, family member? Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Have you ever been lied about? Maybe you were due a promotion, but somebody undercut you. Have you ever found yourself hopeless? See, Joseph was all of those things. Maybe just when you thought your situation couldn't get any worse, it actually did. So the question remains, how did Joseph manage to stay hopeful through it all? How do you manage to stay hopeful through it all? That's a big question. Louis Giglio, one of my favorite authors in his book, Never Too Far, shares five quick principles that are going to help us today. And here's the first principle. Your story is part of his story, God's story. See, Joseph understood that his life's purpose was bigger than simply playing out his own dream, even a God-given dream. Even though a dream God's in your heart, it's still more than just about your story. Your story is a part of God's story. And he knew he was on this earth to be a part of God's story. That was a game changer for Joseph, and that's a game changer for me and you. We say it a lot. Make them count. Don't just count your days. 
Make them count. Let the world be different because you're here. No matter what your dream is personally, there is a bigger dream that overrides everything else that your life, in your life, that would count for God's glory. And I think you know that. I think you get that. Like down deep in your heart, I think you know you were created for more than what we're experiencing. Your heart longs for more. You were made to be a vital part of His story, God's story. You matter to God. Your life matters. Your story matters. The part that you play in His story matters. But here's the second thing. God goes the distance with you. God was with Joseph the entire time. Even when Joseph felt alone, he never was. And neither are you. Don't ever let the enemy convince you that Jesus has left you or he's forsaken you or that he's angry with you. It's just not true. Those are lies. God loves you. God is for you. And if God be for you, who in the world can ever be against you? Here's the next principle. We must offer God our best regardless of the situation. We're so conditional with our love and the way that we respond to Him. Offer God your best regardless of the situation. So often when things are tough or we feel frustrated, we're tempted to do the wrong thing. What do we do? We self-medicate. We pull away from our friends and family. We pull away from church. Maybe we pull away from our life group. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop worshiping. Like all of those things that give us life. We're tempted to start doing, stop doing those things. So here's the advice. When you feel like you're in the wrong situation, keep doing the right thing. Let me say that again. When you feel like you're in the wrong situation, keep doing the right thing. Here's the next principle. Our comeback isn't about a payback. I mean, even though he was devastated by his brothers, Joseph used this position of authority and power as an opportunity to serve his family, not payback. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we would have used it, that position to get back at the people who have done us wrong. Like what Louis Giglio says, a better idea would be to tell the person who is unfair to you that God is in charge of your life and they have never been. And you are free of animosity toward them. That's a pretty freeing statement. You're not saying that all of the consequences disappear. You're not saying that what they've done to you is okay. You're just saying that you forgive them because you are in God's story. Forgiveness is about you and God, not them. You know, our series is called Win or Learn, not Win or Lose. Win or Learn. Let's learn from our experiences. And so many of you have walked through so many painful experiences. And this is a huge lesson that you have learned. And it's helped you win. Let's be willing to offer grace and forgiveness. Not because someone has done anything to earn it or deserve it but because God freely gives it. Here's the next principle. Your struggle may actually be for someone else's salvation. Joseph's entire journey, as painful and as difficult as it was, put him in the place to help other people. Is it possible that God has allowed you to walk through this painful and difficult journey so that you can be more effective and simply pointing people to Him.
I don't know what you've lost. And I don't know what place that you find yourself in right now. But I do know this. God is not finished with you yet. You may not run the exact race that you thought you'd be running. You might not be at the place where you thought you'd be at this point in your life. Maybe this has turned out so different than anything you ever dreamed it would be. But God still has a race for you. And just because things haven't turned out the way you expected doesn't mean things still can't be great. Just because it didn't happen the way you designed it to happen doesn't mean it still can't be great. God has a plan for you. God has promises for you. And here's the great news. His promises do not have expiration dates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises and your assurances in your word that you would never leave us and you'd never forsake us, but that you would be with us to the very ends of the earth. And I know that you're with us now. So I pray you'd speak life to every family, every home, every situation, every relationship. When someone feels like they've been abandoned, when someone feels like they've been marginalized, when someone feels as if someone has turned their back on them, maybe they are the recipient of friendly fire. God, be their healer, be their guide, and be their strength. And God, reassure them that you were there and they are a vital part of the story that's unfolding on this earth, but it's your story. And we get to be, we get to be a part of it. And I'm so grateful for it. And I pray like never before that we would walk with you hand in hand, step by step, as we follow you and we worship you in spirit and in truth. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, for inviting us into your home and trusting us enough to walk this journey with you. We really do love you and we are cheering you on. And we wanna connect with you in every way possible. And one great way to do the great first step is for you to fill out that digital connect card at northparkrdu.com. That gives us a little bit of information about you, helps us put some great information in your hands about North Park and how we can partner together. Because we really want you to know that you are family and you are a part of this family. We want you to be plugged into this family and we want to walk this journey with you. We want to see God do some amazing things in your life and have a front row seat to watch him do it. I also want to let you know that if you'd like to make an investment to build lifelong followers of Jesus, simply hit that online giving button on that website, northparkrdu.com. And we want to thank you in advance for your incredible investment in the mission to build lifelong followers of Jesus. Remember, we are with you every step of the way.